Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empowering a community through the mission in their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome to our final episode of the New Beginning series on the In Awe Podcast. The stories in this series have been inspiring and hope-filled, and today's will not disappoint. Kelly Bagley McCall is the proud principal of Clear Creek Elementary just outside of Kansas City, Kansas, and the mother of four beautiful children. While education has always been her passion, she feels her true purpose is being the lead learner of a building. She loves leading professional development, coaching staff, working with kids, and helping others problem solve by thinking outside of the box. And while her day is busy taking care of 580 students, 600 plus staff members, and all of the families, her evenings are spent tackling the busy life of a mom who has kids in college, the Kansas Air National Guard, high school, and middle school. If she's not chasing one of them around, you can find her reading a book, not always work-related, taking a walk, listening to cheesy 80s love songs or 90s country, or spending time with her husband, who she's spent the last 27 years loving. In today's episode, Kelly shares with us her experiences with making a career shift to follow her passions, all while raising a family from a young age. Her story shows us how we, too, can wrestle our new beginnings from the hold of others' opinions of what our life should entail and tenaciously grab hold of our calling. I am pleased to bring to you today, Kelly Bagley McCall. Welcome, Kelly, to the In Awe podcast. As you know, you're being featured on a series of new beginnings, and I am so excited for the listeners to hear about you today because there is so much that's great about you and new beginnings that you faced in your life, both personally and professionally, and I'm so excited for our listeners to be able to hear all about it. So can you get us started by just telling us what your current context? Currently, I am a principal at a kindergarten through fifth grade building in Shawnee Mission, Kansas. Um, but we're actually in the DeSoto School District. It's kind of a very large, expanded uh, district that goes over quite a few square miles. And so, um, but we are in the Shawnee area. So really, really close to Kansas City. And I'm also the mom of four and um, been married a very, very long time. My husband and I were arguing the other day if it was our 27th or 28th New Year's Eve together. And it's our 27th. It's We have four kids, two, two boys that are in college and... Um, they're 22 and 20, and one's in the Air Guard as well, and then a girl who is a sophomore, and another girl who is a seventh grader. What I love about, first of all, what you said is that you argued, and you said we're 27, so I'm assuming you won that argument based upon how you stated it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the funny thing was is that I said this was 28, and he looked at me like, how could it be 28? And he was like, <laughs> so he was like, it's not 28, is it? And I'm like, then we started counting, and we realized we were both wrong. He thought it was less than that, so. Hey, that's a sign of a really healthy communication style where you can both be wrong. Way to go. Yes. <laughs> I've been following you quite a little while on social media. We were connected at one point in a larger Voxer group, but just really enjoy getting to know you more personally in a smaller group that we're a part of. And it always fascinates me when I consider that you have two adult kids and, you know, thinking about the fact that you can really bring an authenticity to this new beginning, just even in that role, because many of us may have kids that are smaller and we're not to that stage yet. And you've got them just spanning. <laughs> <Life> <laughs> ranging. I do. Right. I do. And I think, I still think of myself as a mom. I'm like, 
a young mom. I was a young mom with Brayden. I was 22. I don't feel like I've ever grown out of that. I feel like I'm still this young person who's still raising kids way out, you know, like I'm way outside of my comfort zone. But at the same time, I'm not. I, the oldest of seven. And so I feel like it's my norm, but I feel like I grew up with them, um, which is a weird thing to say, but true. It's probably pretty accurate for a lot of parents and those at 22 is pretty young to start. And so that does make a lot of sense. I just love too, because I think about the spans of the ages of the kids that you're talking about and your seventh grader, just right now entering in that crazy alien phase of our brains when they're developing right after Christmas. Yes. (laughs) Seventh grade and then into eighth grade. It's just an intense time. So I wish you the best. And as you know, you're a seasoned veteran on that. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think they're all a little different. All of them go through it a little differently. And it's, it's always interesting. That's for sure. Oh, and what a great uh, way for you to frame that. It's such a good mom thing that it's true because they're all different organisms. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that you are such a well-known leader and authority in our field and that you have built a lovely community uh, being a part of the Moms as Principles. But I just think it's so cool that this is not actually education is actually a new beginning for you. So can you share a little bit with the listeners about that? I went to college the first time I went to Wichita State and um, my dad was determined that I was not going to be a teacher. I knew that was what I wanted to go into. I knew I wanted to do something with kids, but he just really wanted me to be able to take care of myself. And he was always about law school. And part of the reason why he was all about law school was that I had gone to a magnet school at City Hall that was the downtown law, public and social service magnet that was actually on the seventh floor in City Hall. And it was very fascinating experience. And I do love the law. I'm a kind of a nerdy law person. Um, So he thought, well, you'll, you can go that route. You like it. And I'm like, but I don't love it. It's, I love it in a way that's interesting to me, but not something I want to do it day in and day out. But I kind of, I kind of ended up going that route and became a legal assistant, um, in college and, um, graduated with way more than an associate's degree, but that's what I walked away with and started my career as a legal assistant and really enjoyed a lot about it. I learned a lot and I grew up a lot doing that. Two boys in, I just remember telling my husband, this is not where I want to be. I want to be a teacher. I was 28 when I went back, 27 when I went back to school with two boys under the age of four, just pushed hard. I ended up getting pregnant in the middle of all of that, of course, because that's what we do uh, to make make things harder on ourselves and got pregnant with Addie and um, had to put things off for nine months. And then because I was so sick and my doctor basically said to me, Kelly, got to make a choice at school or work. You can't do both. And so I chose work, went back as soon as right after she was born and finished. So we had three kids as a first year teacher at the age of 32. Enjoyed enjoyed it. I do believe though, in some ways that made me better. I feel like I had some knowledge of kids and development and understanding where parents were coming from um, and a maturity that I didn't have at 22 walking into a classroom. I think I could have done it. And I see a lot of teachers who do it really, really well. But I knew myself well enough to know that I probably didn't have the same level of confidence that I that I did when I walked in and at my, you know, at 32. There's such a difference in my confidence in myself. And that was because I went back and I accomplished a goal. And even though it was hard. 
So at 32, here I am as a teacher. And I knew even as I was going through my classes, being a little older than most of the other students at Wichita State at the time, that I was really resonating with my professors, especially the ones who had been administrators, really connected with them and knew like that for some reason in my head from the moment I was in school, I knew I wanted to be an administrator, which some people think is really crazy and dumb. But I just there was something fascinating to me about being able to help teachers and help curriculum and help a school grow and move forward. That was important to me. I, I wanted a bigger impact, I think, and or a different impact. I wanted to serve differently. Um, but yet still be in a school school role. So I went back to school uh, with four kids now because I, of course, in my first year, I had another child and <laughs> um, <laughs> and had Riley and then went back and got my admin degree. And um, and I've been a principal. This is my fourth year as an administrator and I'm 44. So I just love this because I can just picture listeners hearing this and feeling just as inspired as I do, because how many of us gain into a role, you know, you worked really hard to get that legal assistant position and that's, that's working. We can get into ruts because it's what's easy. And especially when you have children. And so the fact that you were uh, tenacious enough and by the way, that's, <laughs> that's your one word. That's really cool. Yes. That you were just at the time saying this is being a mom is challenging, but it's not the only thing I'm, I'm going to do in life. And I just, I've, my heart is pounding just thinking about what that would have taken you every single day to accomplish your goal. And part of what I love about amplifying women's stories, you, like you, when you talk about your doctor telling you, you have to make a choice. It's either school or work because of the physical condition you're in as a woman to have a child. It's really inspiring. Women can get into this. Woe is me. It's so hard for us. We have this, we have that. But I'm just thinking, look at you walking into your power and saying, I made the choice for that nine months, but it wasn't for the rest of my life. Right. And it's so important that we as women can feel empowered to do those things, even though, and not be mad about it. It's a graceful, beautiful gift that we have to be able to have children. And yes. I just think about you having these children in these really intense times. And now looking back, it's, first of all, I think you must be bored all the time right now. <laughs> I you're might not be changing a little diapers. <laughs> You're not changing diapers. You're not taking classes. I mean, of course we know the principal role is, it's more than a full-time job, especially if you're going to do it well. But, uh, so I don't mean to demean what your current no. status is in terms of your work, but I just think, wow, you've moved mountains. <laughs> it's so many. It's just intense. So cool. Well, thank you. It, I mean, I look back at those times and I think to myself, I don't know how I did it other than sheer determination that I knew what I wanted. I also knew that I, I, I wanted to be a role model for my kids. I wanted them to see that I, the effort you put into education pays off. Um, you know, my boys got to, they were little when I graduated from college with my degree in, in teaching. They watched me power through, you know, grad school to get to where I am now. And, um, you know, part of that was, you know, I grew up in a divorced family and I saw my mom struggle and find her identity after the um, divorce as far as like what she was going to do as a career. And, and I knew that I didn't want to be in that same position ever. I didn't want to depend on that piece. I have a wonderful marriage and I, and I love my husband dearly, but I also know that I have got to be able to depend on myself. And I wanted to show that to my daughters and to my sons. So um, that was that was a push, but not the whole reason why you get back to school. You know what I mean? You have yeah. to love what you're doing and be passionate about it. So, yeah. um, Well, thank you for sharing that because of all people, it was my obstetrician 
<laughs> who gave me a really beautiful clarifying moment that kind of ties to what you're saying. You look at it as this divorce loss, but he said one time, you know, Joe could walk out the road and get hit by a bus. Right. You know, and so when you look at that, I, again, unions, partnership, marriages are great and we have to work to find a really beautiful balance in that. But also knowing that gender roles are, they are what they are. And women, we yes. need to be able to be empowered to take care of ourselves and our families just as much as men would if something were to happen to us or if the divorce did happen. So I just appreciate you pointing that out uh, yeah. because it's crucial. And the gift that you've given your children in that model is, is so cool. I love it. I, you know, and it's so funny cause you bring up the whole, like you do it anyway, like you're growing, you know, you're growing these children and you're working your, your butt off trying to get somewhere, you know, professionally understanding that we have that balance and that, you know, we can't do the woe is me. I'm the mom and the, and the breadwinner, you know, here in this moment, although I'm not the breadwinner, my husband always will make more money than I do. It's just, that's the way it is. I remember once being on the principles in action group and my friend, Andy Jacks, said something about going home and, you know, that we were talking about dinner, eating dinner with our families as administrators and him saying something along the lines of, um, you know, thank God for my wife. She makes dinner and I get, I can come home and, and sit down and eat with my kids and, and enjoy that time. And I wanted to go, Oh my gosh, I am the mom. I'm still have to go home and make the dinner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there, is, there is no one making the dinner for me. Like, unless I remember to put the crock pot on, I am not like, I, that is not my world. And so much of that is why moms as principles were started because we have a different, we have a different path and it doesn't make it harder. It just, it's just different. We have, we to navigate it in a different way. And wow. so that was, that was a, a piece to me that I was like, Oh my gosh, wow. I am the mom. I still have to go home and make, and make the dinner and, and do the laundry and make sure the house is clean. Because in fairness to my husband, he actually works more hours than I do. So there is not, I don't have that person I can lean on at home. I am the person. I am the guy. So a part of this is the time we live in past this third wave of feminism where women have had to fight really hard to gain the ability to vote, to work full time. But we know that there are challenges in a family, but I have had this really beautiful and recent epiphany through some of the coursework that I've been doing, considering that we do live in a different society. And if somebody has got to take the primary role of parenting and the primary role of home, and you just have to have the discussion about who's going to do that. And when you have two people in uh, high powered careers, sometimes part of that is willing to honestly let someone else do it. I know for me, I had small children and like tiny children. When I was principal my first year, my baby, she was a year old, just barely. And so we had a caregiver that helped me kind of remove some of that guilt, knowing that my kids were being really well taken care of. But we had to decide that a third person was going to enter our equation or it wasn't going to work. You know, Absolutely. and that I really appreciate that you point out that it's different. And I can see this hashtag moms as principles formed. And by the way, thank God for all of you ladies, because you came at a time when I desperately needed you just to know <laughs> that there are other people out there with the same issues that I was, you know, facing and kind of coming together as a community to help one another. And it was just brilliant. And so I thank you for pouring yourself into that space. But 
then I saw the dads as principles hashtag come through and it kind of had me really reflecting and thinking about this over the last year or two. And again, this in awe podcast, it's not because women only it's because women different, you know, we have, we actually do have to do life differently. And I know in my younger years, I was like, Oh, feminism, you know, it's, we need that equality. And it's not really about just like no. anything it's, it's equity. It's really about providing right. fair chances for everybody. And so thank you for doing that. I just really appreciate that. Well, I have to say, I love, I love the guys who started dads as principals because they're my friends Yes, (laughs) and, but they were, and we had been telling them, you know, you guys have a different road. We don't understand your road. Like we don't know what you're doing and how it looks and how it feels because you're supposed to be the breadwinner. You're supposed to be out and, and working for your kids. And that's, you know, so many ways what's natural about what they do. And I don't know what it feels like to be in their shoes. I just don't. And, uh, we would tease them that they needed to start it. And then as a joke at a Philadelphia, uh, they started a, a dad's principles hashtag. And in some ways we're trying to make fun of us and, um, in, in a loving way, because yeah. those, boys, those, those guys are really, really good friends of mine and ours as a general. And then I was like, you think it's funny, but you're going to have followers. And they did. Yes. <laughs> and it, and now you have to do something with it. And they are, I mean, cause they, because they do have a, a platform, they do have a, a great amount of administrators out there who are male and who have kids and trying to make time for their own children is as hard as it is for us, you know, as women. So, well, we all handle our own societal norms and societal pressures. And mm-hmm. I really value the fact that, okay, it started as a joke and part of me wanted to rise up and smack them, but I've met these guys too. And they're great. Yeah, (laughs) I'm glad that the lesson came from it. And what I also am really grateful for is that they've come to be this really strong and vulnerable model. And so you can step out front and say, look, we don't have to follow the societal norms. We can break out and spend time with our children and we can value our wives. And, you know, we don't have to go into these gender normed roles because that's what society's done for us. So thanks to dads as principals for that beautiful lesson that you got to gain and also provide beautiful role models because we need, we need it all. I really believe that. And I'm going to say too, we need strong, confident, capable, well-organized leaders to step forth and step front. And so again, 100%, 100%. I think that for them, I love every bit of every single one of them because they are passionate about education. They are intelligent. They Mm -hmm. work hard, but they do love their families like no other. And they aren't afraid to show that. And I think that that is so important um, to share that um, with others. Those guys really have always shown a vulnerability and love for their families that I have always just admired. And yeah. um, that's why I think if anyone was going to pick up the ball with the dad's principles, it was those guys for sure. Well, shout out. And that's awesome. And when since we're on the In Awe podcast, I recently just put this out there because I've been getting some feedback. Well, like I'm not a guy, but I'll listen and I'm going good. Please listen because we need they need to hear these messages as well. And mm-hmm. I love this hashtag he for she. I read a really great article the other day by John Harper, when he's speaking about being careful about the words he's using with his daughter and, you know, how he wanted to say you're beautiful, but realizing that places value on something that really shouldn't be valued. And I just know that this message is important for all of us. So again, just really good. But Kelly, I enjoy talking to you so much. I had no idea that we had so many things in common. And I heard you say (laughs) that, think that maybe people think it sounds crazy that you wanted to be a principal when you were in school. I'll tell you what, I was that 21 year old 
um, Mm. young teacher, but also knew that I wanted to be a principal before I even stepped foot in the classroom, Kelly. And maybe that's why it's so surprising that I've stepped away from the principalship. Because when I say it was my dream job, me as a woman, I thought I need to have kids before, or I need to do the coursework before I have kids. Because I wasn't as brave as you, Kelly. I wasn't like, yeah, I'm going to have these kids and I'm going to rock this. You know, I arrange things and I try to arrange things. Of course, I know that life isn't my plan, (laughs) right? But I just want to shout kudos to you on that because knowing ourselves and knowing what our passions are, but also being willing to realize that they're going to collide at times and understand that hopefully our life is long enough that we can fit it all in. But I think it's awesome. It just shows that you are called to the leadership and you clearly only four years doing this are you're really rocking it. And I'm inspired by you all the time in your leadership. I think that for me, I I have to say that I was influenced by really good mentors. Um, When I was in high school, my principal, who I am still connected to to this day, he is no longer a principal um, working in D.C. and he works with community policing and, you know, really trying to help in different areas. But when he was an administrator and he was the principal at the law magnet that I was at, he saw something in me and he knew I, I wanted to be a teacher. And instead of being mentored in social work or um, law or police or any of the other things that we were able to choose from, he went out of his way to find me a program that had let me go to a school. And I I mentored in a kindergarten classroom um, mm-hmm. for 12 weeks and loved every second of it. And I, I look back at his leadership and how he created that school. And, and literally the first two weeks of that school, all we did was plan what the school would look like. And so we dreamed our redesigned school and we created it alongside of our teachers. And I remember just being so inspired by that. And then while in college, I look upon a, a school that focuses on Reggio Amelia and it's um, Discovery Place in Wichita, Kansas. And Dean Nelson is still to this day one of my edu heroes um, because she just was all about kids and, and doing the right thing developmentally for kids and not pushing academics, but letting them develop through play and discovery. And I always admired her. Um, I still admire her to this day. And her voice still rings in my head during certain situations and her advice. So for me, being around strong mentors really helped me create this want to be like them. And I think that that's part of what pushed me towards that role. I wouldn't say that I was a normal leader. I don't think that like I was a kid in high school that was a, considered a leader, but I grew into the role because I wanted to be like the people I admired. Thank God we don't have to be who we were when we were 18, right? (laughs) I'm so thankful for that. Yes. And those of you that are in the education field listening, just listen to what Kelly's told you. We have the ability to impact people's life trajectories, their passions and how they pour out in this ripple effect. Man, education places you right in the spot to do that every day. So to be really mindful about who you want to be as a person in education and mentoring. And Kelly, I know that you are careful about that and that you're able to do that in your own role to pay that back. Yes. And I really love how you describe those mentors. The fact that your, as you stated, your nerdiness for law and that background <laughs> has got to help you when it comes to the policy aspects of the principalship. Oh, yes, very much so. I also am a little political at times as well. And so I, I, 
I do nerd out on things that have to do with the educational policies and laws and, and where we're going and, and what everything means. And we're, we're kind of in an interesting time in Kansas right now. We have an education, an education commissioner, um, Randy Watson, who is amazing, is all about redesigning schools to make sense for kids into this new world that they're going to be walking out into. And at the same time, we finally elected a governor who's pro-education. So it should be a very interesting time right now. I'm actually watching Republicans in our state switch over to the Democrat Party because there's not room for moderates right now in the Republican Party in Kansas at the state level. And so it's been an interesting ride the last few years. It's not been very pro-education. It's been very difficult the last 10 years. And I feel like we're finally seeing the tides turn and I cannot wait to see where where this new governor and our commissioner take us. Well, I can't wait to keep chatting with you about that. We've had a really interesting go here and you know nationally there is clearly a fleeing from education. We see this these data and the research on it coming out and it just it kills me and I, of course I sit here being one of them who has recently left a position but for a different reason. I know that we were kind of decimated here in Wisconsin with uh, yes. some changes that happened with Act 10 back in 2011. And the interesting part is we do have a changeover in actually our <laughs> our superintendent of the state is our governor, um, Tony Evers, was elected. So it will be interesting politically to see how that turns out. I don't want to get too political on here, but I know that it sounds like it's sort of mirrored in that way. Well, I think right now it, it, there's... It seems to be this all or nothing mark. I don't know how to describe it other than you're either pro-education or you think public schools are the worst things that are ever been created mm. by our our founding fathers, so to speak. But I, I look back at it and I think to myself, we are, we are such the hub for communities. I think if you are not in a school on a daily basis, you have no idea what is happening and what we're doing to help grow these little people into you know, capable functioning adults that are going to go out into the world and do amazing things. And, you know, could we do better in certain areas? Absolutely. Because you know what, we're always learning too. And that's the wonderful thing about our, our profession is that we do have to continue to learn and grow in order to, to serve our students the best we can. To think that somehow scrapping public education and is going to somehow make it better. I, I don't understand that mentality. Do I think there's room for private schools and, and, and different ways of teaching students? Absolutely. Because I think that kids are different and we can accommodate that. And there's someone out there willing to do so um, through a charter or a private school. I think those, those concepts are, are awesome and fascinating, but do they work for every student? That's harder to sell for me. You know, I, I think that we have dynamic educators in this business and that love students and love what they do. And they deserve to be treated as professionals because they are. They are professionals. Hands down. And we could probably wax poetic on this for a long time. You're getting my passions kind of built up. Back. <laughs> I don't get to talk about this very much anymore. But I was just thinking about, you know, education being the great equalizer, right? And this concept of public education, we just had a, a series on resilience and two high-powered educational leaders that I just know well, Jessica Johnson and Don Myers, who shared, if we yes. have not had a public education system to get them the tickets that they needed, their imprint on 
around the world would not be the same. And it just kills me to think that the priority is not with our youth and our future. And I'm not trying to get too soapboxy, but it's so important. And I think one of the things that you're known for is this trauma-informed care. So can you, do you just want to talk a little bit, because this is new beginnings. Is yes. there a way that you're focusing on bringing this into your new, your new district, same role? Yeah, I think that, you know, being trauma-informed or trauma-aware, however you want to refer to it is, gosh, it's so important because the reality is, is that one in four of our kids in every building has had some sort of trauma in their life. You know, I, I come from a district before that was a lot of trauma, high poverty, high trauma. The kiddos struggled. We had to learn how to do school. Some days weren't about school. Some days were just about, you know, regulating and getting them to feel safe and, uh, and, and be calm. And they weren't ready to learn right away. Others, um, you know, were just flourishing because of the teachers that they were with and the trust that had been built and the relationships that were ongoing and, um, and growing every day. And so walking into this new school is, is, has been a transition for me because I don't have a poverty issue in this building. Um, we are in a very nice area with very nice housing all around us. Um, even if you are living in a townhouse, they're, they're quite expensive, you know, or an apartment. It's not cheap to live in this area. But that being said, I think I can bring in my trauma-informed practices when it comes to my kiddos who are on the spectrum. Um, I do have students that no matter how well life is at home, as far as like money is concerned, doesn't mean that they don't require some of that trauma-informed practices. And really what it comes down to is really all kids benefit from it. You know, to me, the, the, the biggest thing about that piece and understanding trauma is understanding that the relationship has to come first. But when we talk to kids and you do social-emotional surveys with students, even in this building, the biggest thing that we can have an impact on is our relationships with students and whether or not they feel cared for and whether or not they feel like we are there for them if they're upset. And um, in fact, I'm doing a PD tomorrow. We're going over our social emotional survey that we gave to students um, a few weeks back. And there are nine questions on there that all that it comes down to is our relationships with our kids. We can have impact immediately on that survey just based on how we, how we cultivate those relationships. And so I, I, I just, the power of the understanding of trauma is great, but the practices should be across the nation. The, the practices of being trauma-informed should be done in every school and every classroom because it really comes down to understanding your students, making sure they feel cared for, um, helping them learn how to regulate their emotions, help, helping them understand what their emotions are. Um, so many people are like, well, why is this such a, a new thing? And I, and I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, why is this a new thing? Well, research is rather new for us as far as getting to the education community, as far as what trauma informed is or what trauma is. But what I will say is that is our kids and our buildings right now are post 9-11 students. I was listen, listening to a speaker talk about this a few weeks back, and he said to us, we need to understand that in our kids' minds, there is a lockdown, a shooting, or something's blowing up in their minds all the time because it's happening in the world around them and they're aware of it. They're on social media. They see the news in ways that we didn't as small children. And so their anxiety level is higher than what we would have experienced at the same that, age. 
transcends the poverty misnomer. Yes. You know, and that's why I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking in the schools that I've served in ranged from 80% students who would be on the free and reduced lunch to 50, right? By dynamics. And it, it really transcends the money thing because media and technology is right at the forefront in ways that it never was before. Mm-hmm. I love so much that that speaker brought that out and that you're sharing this with our listeners today because we can have totally settled families that have all the needs and the wants and the desires taken care of. And I know that you're still going to build anxieties when kids are not sheltered from this, whether it's reality or amplification of reality. Uh, it's really a challenge. And we do. We see that at the the teen side of it, because I worked primarily with high schoolers, right? Anxiety is higher than it's ever been. Yes. And so clear. And it, and again, transcend family structure and money. And right. so really kind of tied to a lot of this tech that can be beautiful, but also we're seeing it. And I appreciate that you said it's, we're just, it's catching up to the schools because we're kind of living in it and then reacting, but more and more schools are being trauma-invested, trauma-informed, as you said, just learning more. And then I really love how you said the practices are the key. But it does always come down to relationships. That's not new. I remember learning about the affective domain back in you know, the undergrad and knowing that you can't get to the cognitive levels of a kid if you're not to the heart. So Absolutely. And I, But I feel like in a, in a way, I really understood building relationships with students when you're in crisis mode. And Um, you know, at one point I wrote a blog post to my teachers and I was like, you know what, I'm having these really great relationships with your hardest students because (laughs) I'm the one who's coming in and helping them remove them from the classroom so they can get through their crisis. And I'm there the whole way through and I'm that consistent person. And they walk out of that going, I mean, I would have kids that would finally kind of come out of it and climb into my lap and hug me and say, I'm so sorry, I love you, because they they realize I consistently was there for them through the entire crisis. And our teachers don't always have that opportunity. And I invited them to trade places with me. Let me go in and teach. You go through the crisis with the student. And sometimes you can't do that because maybe you're they've pushed you over the edge in that moment and you can't, and you can't handle it and you're not in the right frame of mind to handle it. Um, But if you are, let's trade places. And I have had teachers who have taken me up on that. And it has been amazing to watch the difference and the transfer of emotion from me to the teacher, because I I feel like that's been, that was an eye opener for me was to really feel that transfer. Like I feel safe enough with this teacher that I don't need you. And that was important. Um, transition for some of my students who were my dailies, you know, like it was a daily thing, maybe a couple times a day. I, I do believe that that relationship is more than just like knowing their interests and integrating it into a lesson, which is what we were told, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. Do an interest survey. And if Joey likes to talk about, you know, drones, then how can we work that into a lesson? And that's great too. And and saying hello and good morning and, and kids liking you, those are all important. But there's something about helping a student regulate that it just gets a whole other level. Something you can't necessarily, you can teach, but they have, like you're right, you have to experience it. We can get um, trained in the appropriate nonviolent crisis interventions, but until you have it and you're working with it, um, you don't, yeah, you don't get it. So thank you. That's really beautiful. You're teaching me and thinking about the different perspectives with the teachers taking that in. It's hard because that child in that moment can be that kid 
that quote unquote, that kid. And, and it might be too much for that person to walk out of the room and help them crisis through. But I, I learned a ton from an, my two autism teachers in my last building about how to be that teacher and still be able to stay calm within the moment when you have a crisis going on with it, with some kids in crisis. I learned so much about how to be in a supporter during that time and not to inadvertently be another trigger. I just think we, we have so much to learn. That's why I, for honest to God, I love my SPED team, my special education teams. I, I don't know very many SPED teachers who I don't think would go to the mat for any kid. And mm-hmm. they are like the unsung heroes, I think, in so many buildings. Special shout out. Yes. And also when we talk about teacher shortage, intensely shortage there. Okay, Kelly, well, we are getting to pass our time limit. Yes. <laughs> if you were able to write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would your advice be? I would probably write to the girl in high school who was, you know, surrounded by really intelligent friends. <laughs> and I was smart in my own way. I, I just didn't have any confidence. I would probably write to her and talk to her about how, you know, things will work out. You just have to work hard and and push forward and, and go after what you want and believe in yourself enough to advocate for yourself. I don't think I found that girl until I was probably 28 and, and that's okay. But I, I would really love to whisper in her ear, just keep going. It'll, you'll, you'll find it. But you just said somebody where they needed to hear it. So that is all the time we have today for Ms. Kelly Bagley McCall. And I'm so thankful that the listeners got to hear so many inspiring things from you. And I will be sure to provide in the show notes how to connect with Kelly again. And just wanted to thank you again for your time and for providing an inspiring interview for our listeners, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the In Awe Podcast. I continue to be amazed at the way this community is growing and am incredibly grateful to everyone who listens, subscribes, rates, reviews, and shares episodes. The messages are landing, and it really comes down to you as listeners to make that happen. Thank you for joining the In Awe community and for lifting others through both hearing and sharing their messages.